Hello, and welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, we have a treat. It's a friend of mine, Ian McKenna, founder of advisorsoftware.com and many, many other things we'll get into shortly. Ian is the de facto guru of advisor technology in the UK and has a great lens on both the UK and technology around the world. I brought him on the show to basically talk to talk like we normally talk when we chat about what's happening, what's going on, where we've come from, where we're going, and a bunch of other stuff. And with that, here's my interview with Ian. Ian, thank you so much for taking the time. Great to see you, Jason, as always. Always a pleasure. So, Ian McKenna, tell us a little bit about what it is you do. Well, it could be said that I have more than enough hats to open a milliner's shop. By background, more years ago than I'm going to admit to, I started running financial advice businesses in the mid-90s. Uh, I developed an interest in industry technology. Prior to that, I'd been working as a columnist for various publications, just writing about financial advice and the, the life of financial advisors generally. Developed an interest in industry tech, and then a couple of publications came along to me and said, could I start writing for them regularly on said subjects? Answer was, sure, easy. Shortly after that, a number of people started ringing me up and saying, you're telling us very publicly how we're getting it wrong. Could you come and help us get it right? That's where a consultancy business was born. These days, as you identified, looks at advisor technology, not just in the UK, but all around the world. I believe passionately that advice tech is and needs to globalize. So we've set up a destination called advisorsoftware.com, which we are building out. It started as the destination for everything you need to know about advice technology for the UK. We're evolving that now really as a global platform adding a lot of information about Canadian software companies, US software companies, European software companies, even getting out into Asia, Australia, lots of other interesting places. Essentially, coming back to the reason we're doing that is it's very much my belief that we're going to see financial planning technology and the, and the related technologies that support advisors become global. After all, what you need from your financial planner in Colombia, Canada, or China is essentially the same thing. You have local laws and regulations, but the core of what a financial planner does is the same. It's all about protecting people and their families for now and helping them provide for their future. So as we get regulation globalizing, and it is, we are seeing the foundations very much now of a global financial regulation market. It, you'll get to a situation where if you're developing software for three, four, five different jurisdictions, maybe for a market of half a billion people plus, you can deliver that software a lot cheaper than maybe if you're developing for a market of 50,000 advisors. Excellent. So we're going to dive into a bunch of that. Lots to talk about. Let's actually just start on the entire, actually go back and actually talk about how software in your jurisdiction has evolved. You know, what did the advisor world look like 15, 10, five years ago versus today? And where do you think it's headed? And we're going to jump back to like zooming out slowly to a global perspective and how things change. 
Sure, sure. Well, let's go way, way back. Actually, not in the UK, but let's talk about the first ever identified instance of fintech, and that was telegraph lines that actually carried stock information from different jurisdictions, primarily around North America, actually, to begin with, but it would equally have happened in the in the, in the UK between London and the provinces. So fintech isn't new. And when we look at fintech today and talk about it as a very separate thing, it's actually going to be something that within, unless those of us active in the fintech market get it really wrong, and ultimately, I can't see how that can happen. The reality will be fintech will no longer be a separate thing. It will just be the way that everyone, digital will be the way that everyone does everything. And we're not too many years away from that. So to come back to your question, in terms of the driver, and when I do think back to the early days of writing tech columns in the mid-90s, it kind of was like shooting fish in a barrel, to be perfectly honest. A lot of the tech being produced by financial institutions to support financial advisors didn't really meet their needs very well. It staggers me today that I look around the world, and I don't think it's only in the UK, that it's amazing how little people running financial institutions actually understand about how financial advisors work. I'm not complaining too bitterly. It's made me a good living for the last 25, 30 years. Nonetheless, it's very much the case that the people, and we've certainly seen it, you've seen it in the UK, you've seen it especially in Australia, you've seen it in Spain particularly, where you get banks and institutions go around and buy up all the advisors And then they suddenly realize they don't have the culture to run with the sort of people that generally are natural financial advisors. Now, I think this will change. One of the points you and I were talking about, and I I think it's fair to say, Jason, you were quite amused by the fact that the banks have pretty much wholesale got out of financial advice in the UK. Well, because they couldn't meet a regulatory standard. Yeah, they they, they just can't get to the regulatory standards. They get out. The reality is, if you're running a scale business in a well-regulated financial market, you can allow for a certain, you, you can reserve for a certain amount of advice to be wrong. For example, in the UK, most of the models, and I know even our financial conduct authority have models that that demonstrate this, about a third of advice will be wrong. And you can reserve for the price of compensating for it. But when you start employing thousands of people who you may not actually invest that much in their professional training, you start to have situations where much more than 3% goes wrong, at that point, the cost of the compensation actually can get quite penal. The point I'm making here is financial regulation is nothing new. Strong consumer protection is nothing new in the UK. Our first legislation along those lines 
was the 1986 Mm. Financial Services Act, and there are other jurisdictions around the world just introducing regulations that don't meet the requirements equivalent to the 86 Act. We've been living with this stuff now for getting on for 40 years. I've changed as a regulator every few years. New government comes along, decides to call the regulator something else. Usually it's when a change, there's a change of political party. Not always. Actually, they've left the Financial Conduct Authority in place for quite a long time now. I mean, who wants to be seen but, as taking away a regulatory authority on finance? I mean, it's uh, kind of a politically untenable thing to do. Well, yeah, but they, they usually want an excuse for someone to blame for the sins of the previous government. So oh, that's why it tends to happen when you, when you change government. But the point is here, you can't have stronger and stronger regulation and without technology. Regulation is a huge catalyst for technology at the set, which enables regulation. So there's a very symbiotic relationship between the two. And that's really been the driver for so much of the adoption of technology across the UK advice sector. I mean, I, I do a lot of work as a columnist for various publications one called Money Marketing, funny enough, LinkedIn told is telling everybody today it's the 26th anniversary of me starting to write for them. There's another pub- publication called FT Advisor. I'm just doing a new column on. And the that, again, it's a monthly column. The interesting thing there is I've now got 12. I'm writing a how-to-buy guide, and there are now 12 different types of advice tech, one a month, that we can actually I can write about to advise on what are the features that firms should be looking at as they look to bring that into their tech stack. If you go back a few years ago, maybe 15 years ago, an advisor had a practice management system around about 2008, 2009, the regulators started pushing very hard for everybody to use risk profiling tools, portfolio construction tools have emerged over time life insurance comparison tools, but again, they're now getting more sophisticated, certainly in the UK with the passing of a new piece of regulation called consumer duty. Advisors now have a legal duty to look not just at the price of an insurance product, but also its quality. And when that comes to life insurance, that that can involve some very detailed analysis I have a couple of fintech startups in various areas, one of which Protection Guru Pro is particularly designed to look at that. On that piece, contract that's incredibly popular over here, critical illness, we employ a bank of doctors, panel of doctors to to take those contracts apart, full stop and comma by comma. So, you know, technology is driven by regulation is, is... the comment I'm coming to. Well, I think at the end of the day, you know, unfortunately, in in life, the standard falls to the lowest common denominator acceptable, right? So good enough is the human way. And if you set a bar, that bar will not be the floor, that bar will likely be the average at the same time. So no surprise that that's the case. So yes, you know, you and I share the I think, hold the sacrosanct belief or the or the controversial belief that better regulation leads to better outcomes both in technology and in and for consumers uh, despite the facts in you know especially my neighboring country to the south and 
much degree here, that is considered that is considered blasphemy. How dare you suggest that regulation actually solves something? But the irony there is that actually tougher regulation, tougher consumer protection regulation has been proven to be good for financial advisors. I mean, financial advisors in the UK have never been as successful as they are now. Mm -hmm. They are managing to sell practices for eight times income or more. There's an absolute wall of private equity money coming in to buy up those practices. And, And it's all because of regulation. And it's all because of the explicit prohibition of commissions on investment products. It's made advisors far wealthier than they've ever been. Well, I guess the regulation creates barrier to entry, uh, which which basically is in itself a moat. So the higher multiples do make sense in that regard. So a couple of things I want to go back to that you said earlier, uh, in particular. One is that uh, the future, it'll just all be technology. There's no, there's going to be no option for anything else. And that's, you know, that, that's in keeping with, I can't remember who it was who said it. And that was, in the future, there will be two types of companies, technology companies and dead ones. Uh, at the end of the day, technology is not about, is no longer just about providing you with computer stuff to do other stuff. It's about delivery of everything. And that's really what we're looking at. And then the, your comment about the people up top making decisions don't really understand what an advisor's life looks like. Oh, man. <laughs> Right to the heart, right, right to my heart. Okay, because like it is, it is astonishing to me how how that is the norm everywhere. And it reminds me of years ago when I don't know if it was a buzzword with you guys, but I think there was a there was a point where every technology meeting I went into, the term client centric got used, like it was going out of style, and it was just the most hilarious thing to hear. There was even a Dilbert comic that basically at the time captured this, and and basically like I would I would literally just get annoyed and start saying, okay, what does that mean to you? It's like, well, no one's really done anything that's really like focused on the client. I'm like, you think no one has ever tried to focus on a client with the delivery of their product or service? Is, th- is this what you really think? I'm like, well, you know, they just, they don't do it very well. I'm like, so what does that actually mean to you? It's like, well, really focusing on them. I'm like, no, no, what does that actually mean in terms of execution of how you're going to do that? And then it is like, they wouldn't, like, they wouldn't know how to answer. And then like, and what is it you're hoping to do? Well, you know, hopefully they use stuff for terms like, increase wallet share as a means of using terms like sell them more stuff. I'm like, slow me at the straight. You just want to focus more on them so that you can sell them more stuff. So you well, do realize that, 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 is the, that is the reality, isn't it? That, you exactly. know, and that's the contradiction there is between people who genuinely care about achieving good customer outcomes and organizations, especially proprietary organizations who have, heaven forbid, shareholders who want, heaven forbid, a return on investment, that are ultimately sales engines. That's it. That's what they are, and you can't get away from it. I mean, you know, one of the terrible things, our generation, certainly in the UK, has been the greediest generation of all. I mean, you know, we 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 went through the 80s and the 90s, prior to which, you know, in the UK, we had nationalized utilities. So our dear Margaret Thatcher came along and came up with the wonderful idea as, as well as selling everybody their council houses for a two-thirds discount because she found that homeowners were far more likely to vote for the Conservative Party. 
not gerrymandering on an absolutely phenomenal scale at all. And then all tax proceeds went to the government, not back to the local authorities to buy more housing stock, which is why we have no housing local authority housing stock in the UK. But they also invented the idea of everyone owning shares. So they took all the utilities, they nationalised them, and then they got bought up. But then people said, oh, we've got all these wonderful mutual financial institutions who, to be fair, genuinely, because they were mutual businesses, didn't have the same profit driver. Yeah. As soon as they were demutualised, they turned into engines that you had chief executives who were remunerated on the share price. And the share price was driven by a function of sales and revenue. So there we are. Well, I mean, uh, it's, so- always, it's always about hitting the next quarter, right? It's always over the next month. So that's, that's, it's, it's also short-term driven. And how are you supposed to worry about long-term outcome for your client base when you're rewarded? You're not there for the long-term outcome. So incentives are probably the most powerful force in the universe. And yeah, they're clearly misaligned. As for the well, Thatcher think- thing... It's, it's an interesting one, but I think if we look at where we are with technology today, and one of the downsides of advice, sorry, of advice regulation, very much a downside of advice regulation, it's led in the UK to highly, highly qualified advisors. The problem is, unless you're a millionaire, you can't afford them. So mm. we've created a situation by good, in inverted commas, consumer outcomes, financial, yeah, wealthy people have never got better advice more cheaply. There's, they're incredibly well provided for and protected. But unfortunately, the average individual can't afford financial advice. And that's where I think we have a huge opportunity mm-hmm. uh, actually to turn the clock back and return to a situation where financial advice is a utility easily accessible to all rather than a luxury reserved for the wealthy. And you can only get there through technology. Yep. And and that's, that's, I mean, frankly, that's a good thing. But at the same time, it's funny because, again, you guys are used as a cautionary tale when the propagandists in Ontario and Canada try to prevent regulatory change, saying that, that basically people can't get advice. Yeah, that's fine. But you have like, 1200 no 12 to 1400 people per financial advisor so there's just not enough bodies right like there's just that's that's the primary concern there is a huge surplus of demand over supply in the uk whereas in canada you've got more financial per capita than any other country in the world we Um, could lose 75 percent of them we still wouldn't have the ratio that you have that's absolutely true Maybe we should nick your good ones. I mean, you know, they can make an awful lot of money over here. Weather's better too. Yeah, but better. Well, wetter. Wetter's the only thing you want to say. So, uh, well, you know, it's not as cold in the winter. So one of the other things I want to go to is is basically, so let's talk about this. Talk about the global trend in regulation. And I will say it's interesting. I don't know when it was, but it seemed like all these regulators started going to conferences and comparing notes, and some of them started feeling pretty ashamed of what they were doing. And it seems like everywhere around the world, the Australian exam, Australia, as we know, will will basically <laughs> will basically go too far, as they've proven a couple of times. Not without, but here's the thing. 
but to the right end state is what they're trying to get to, right? Like I got to commend them on everything they want to do is the industry we should all be building. Problem yeah, is they're not alone. We've gone too far in the UK on more than one occasion. Yeah, not to that extent though. As I say, Australia's the masters of overkill, but but <laughs> but overkill in the right direction because frankly, like they kind of get where it needs to go. And <laughs> funny story there. But that said, you know, you get you're you've struck a better balance in the UK, I would say. Uh, and then the US is a more call it market-based way of discovering the answer to this, but still has done it really describing it. Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting, but they've, but they've also, they've, I think by, by nature of the quirk of, of the existence of the RA market and imposing fiduciary duty, it's brought those conversations to the forefront and the competition that space has brought, you know, has made it the world leader in the marketplace, as well as the need for financial advice relative to the lack of social support from other, <laughs> like other nations have, you know, it's That's certainly true. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, so, yeah, and, and culturally, you know, you do. You and I go to a lot of the same conferences and, and the atmosphere and the, the positivity got to give them their due or around achieving things and delivering things is inspiring. There's just other bits of the process that you you worry a little bit about. I, I think it's, it's really interesting. There's a conference next year. Uh, well, the, the conference happened this year for the first time called Shift. Oh, yeah which is human first financial advice. I don't think you were there this year, but I hope- uh, I'm not going to be able to make it this year. year. Too many conflicts. I desperately want to go um, because I'm but, nothing but, but rave reviews. I, it, it's a great event. Actually, the complete reverse of things we usually go to, like T3, which is absolutely where you want to be to see all the latest American tech, Future Proof, which you just want to be at Future Proof awesome. because <laughs> so awesome. it, it's an amazing- wealth tech social science and music festival which takes place on huntingdon beach in california they even brought some rain along for me this year on the first day which had a few minutes we had a few minutes of rain yeah just so i didn't feel alone but i mean joking aside it is an amazing event to attend but but let me come back to shift what i found so interesting about shift was and it's it's all about Human first advice. It's not tech focused. It's very much behavioral finance focused. And really interesting, I met a couple of advisors who were second generation advisors. And one had, they were both debating their similar situation. One, they were both intended to be the heir apparent to the family firm. One had already left and told his father, I'm not going to sell the rubbish you sell. And the other one was on the cusp of telling you know, their father the same and was really wrestling and, and I think got some comfort from that. So I, I think my point there is, yes, you, you are seeing in the US an evolution, the emerging RAA market, more focus on the fiduciary but there's an awful lot of people in the US who recognize themselves. They'd probably be a bit better with stronger regulation, but then they'd probably be a bit better with a with a national provision of healthcare, wouldn't they? Uh, they would be. Well, lots of reasons, but let's not go down that road. So <laughs> let's also talk about, you know, you talked about the entire scaling and basically global, fintech going global. Now, one thing I think you'll agree with, this is a distinctly non-American trend. Yeah, our, our American it. friends like to build for America. And it's just like, I mean, I can't blame them. It's the biggest market. So you think about solving your, pro- your problem. But if you don't build multi-jurisdictional, multi-currency from day one, 
you painted yourself into a corner, my friends. Well, I mean, they've got a problem. And it is, a it, well, it's a big problem for U.S. vendors. I mean, you know, the number of times I've had conversations with, and they build some great stuff. I mean, you talk to them about, great, when that's coming out to the rest of the world. And they're like, well, yeah, next year. And then next year, there's always something great. And they always want to take that to the U.S. first. The problem they've now got themselves in is that after so many years of not to, you know, assuming other countries would wait, other countries where there is, and particularly those where is the, there is the stronger regulatory driver, but but not uniquely, but you know, particularly we're seeing a lot of Australian companies take, for example, there's a great outfit called Illumiant mm -hmm. who have a really interesting approach to getting to know the non-financial partner in any relationship, started off addressing the Australian market. They still develop out there, but they're wholly focused on selling into Australia. Sorry, into the US, I beg your pardon. Again, you've got Inteliflow in the UK, a practice management system with now a 50 plus percent market share, backed by a wholly owned subsidiary of Invesco now. So incredible financial backing, very much targeting the US. And the interesting thing for them, because they've got a system built to so much higher regulatory standard, they can just turn stuff off or even say, well, look, we've got these things. You don't have to use them because they're a regulatory requirement. You can use them because they're good practice. Coming back, sorry, because I we, we talked about the US market and the lack of regulation. You raised the question of regulators around the world comparing notes. And they mm -hmm. absolutely are. There's a there's a really good organization called GFIN, which does have some US representation, but not the right people. You've, you've not got the SEC there, whereas pretty much you've got the lead regulators for the overwhelming majority of other nations in the world. Canada's there, the UK, Australia, Singapore, most of Africa, the Middle East, and various parts of, of Asia. Yeah, they're comparing notes because. Let's face it, if what planners do is the same, the way they need to be regulated probably is going to be pretty similar. And it's actually a very constructive thing. I mean, you've mentioned the tendency for Australia and you're being very nice about the UK, but actually, yeah, we do overdo it. I have under, overdone it on several occasions. Other regulators can look and learn from that. Where's the point too far? And they can look around the world and sort of say, okay, well, that approach in that country worked. That country didn't quite get it right. And it, let me let me give an example right now. I mean, the Australians have absolutely killed their life insurance market because they actually capped advisor commission at 60%. And there's a five-year reclaim period. So if the client moves away within five years, the advisor ends up with nothing. And there's that's a lot of work to have done and then not get paid. And interestingly, the insurers haven't taken all that saving and invested it for the benefit of the customer. They're now, they took it all to their own profit. And we're now actually seeing carriers shutting down in Australia because there's no distribution left. So that's, and it, it's really interesting here. It was a debate. There was a debate about cracking down on commission. 
Now you can point to the catastrophic effect it's had in Australia. There's a lot fewer people in government and the regulator. They're very wary of replicating that failure. Well, I hear you, but it's it's nice to see these natural experiments performed in other jurisdictions because then you can say, okay, we're not going to go that far, but what else can we try? Or what else has been tried? So we've uh, we've been meandering for a while, and this is what we normally do. So hopefully, people found this amusing. But before I wrap up, there's three questions I like to ask everybody on a positive note. And this one I'm going to modify a little bit because uh, you are not a just a fintech founder. You're this more conventional. But the first one is, if you had one wish or something could change in the industry as a whole, what would it be? I'd get financial advisors to embrace everything that technology can offer them to make their businesses so much more successful, to enable them to service more people and to look after them better. Technology is your friend. It's an enabler. Absolutely. And that's what this podcast is about. Second question. You know, normally the question is, what's been the biggest challenge in your company to where it is today? Like, let's, uh, let's say, what's the biggest challenge that the industry has encountered to date in, your grand, in, in the grand scheme of things? I'm going to come back to the same. I'm going to flip the last answer. It's basically people not being able to, not willing to embrace new ways of doing things. It's been resistance by the practitioners. If you look at consumers, consumers are using new tech all day, every day, and wealthy consumers are early adopters of technology. Yeah, I hear advisors telling me day in, day out, oh, Ian, you don't understand. My wealthy clients don't want to use technology. They want to talk to me. Yeah, yeah. You know, their wealthy clients live in climate-controlled homes, watching big screen TVs, running dishwashers, traveling overseas on planes. They all have smartphones that chat on FaceTime with their grandkids. This entire dislike of technology thing, it's, it's not that you dislike, it's just you're drawing a line on what you're willing to learn and adapt to. And well, the, uh, reality, this, the reality is too many advisors are not comfortable. So we need to do more to help them get comfortable. Well, and this is near and dear to my heart because it was funny. I had a conversation, well, at one point of frustration with, a, uh, with my broker dealer where I'm on this one new version of their, of their platform. And they're like, well, you know, we're thinking of getting rid of this one next generation platform and client advisors can just use the old one because frankly, Jason, your office is the only one actually using this on a daily basis. My response was, wait a sec, wait a sec. I know there's not a ton of advisor offices on this, but you're telling me I'm the only one using it. Yeah. I'm like, okay, let me investigate this a bit. Mad conversations. And it's just like, well, first off, let's, let's just be frank. Uh, you take a bunch of older advisors and you tell them they don't have to change something. They're not going to change it. So even if there is a substantial benefit to the old new system, they're just not going to bother, right? So as I, as I always say, digital transformation re requires you to burn the boats. Like sometimes the only way to do it is to leave no choice about going back. The second piece is there was the other thing that a lot of these institutions don't understand is how to train advisors on, on technology, right? Because they're like, the trainers will be like, oh, here's all the features and walk you through where features are and everything else. No, what you need to do is you need to understand the actual like user and the use case. This is how, you know, when I show people how my staff use that thing on a daily basis to admit to administer the book, when I basically show them how I used it in client meetings as a, as a collaborative navigation of what's going on in their portfolio, they were just like, oh my God, like this, this makes so much sense. And it's like, yes, it does. Because frankly, and I figured it out now I'm willing to figure it out, but I do get that the average person isn't. But when trainers are just like, here's where you find everything now, figure out how to use it in a, in a course of a daily basis. That's just destined for failure. Well, there is, one a that people, there is one other trick that people have found work. There's a 
one of the largest distribution businesses over here. I won't name them. I'll get in trouble if I do. Yeah. Um, but what they've found works really effectively. If you don't put all the data in that they need to run it electronically, they can't process your payment. The advisor doesn't get paid. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, apparently, it's working really well. Oh, it's right. funny. I've seen I've seen that with the, I, I shall not name who, but with one large insurance company in this country who basically people figure this out. It's first off, if you don't, uh, you can't produce a financial plan until such time as you filled out the base level information in the CRM, which then populates the financial plan. And then if you dare sell an insurance policy without a financial plan in place, you're getting paid less. <laughs> okay, that's a good one. Yep, not bad. So again, it's, it's incentives. And sometimes the incentives got to be negative, not just positive. Yep. And the last question I have for you is you're involved in a lot of things. What excites you the most about what it is you're working on and keeps you getting up in the morning to fight the good fight every day? Yeah, enabling. I, I passionately believe that technology can enable people to live happier, more secure, and wealthier lives. We're going through difficult economic conditions the world over at the moment. People, many, many people don't really believe they have the, the wherewithal to protect their families or to save. If we, we can use technology, to show them how they can do. I mean, one small thing I will, just to expand that a little bit, you know, generally savings institutions like customers to put in a regular amount each month. And yet, tell me one family in Britain, in Canada, anywhere that has the same outgoings 12 months of the year. So why don't we give the customer more flexibility in payments why don't we adopt services like micro savings, which absolutely prove that people will save more if you give them more flexibility? Very true. Ian, thank you so much for your time. Very much appreciated. You're very welcome. Great talking to you. Thanks to everybody for listening. So that was one of my common conversations with uh, Ian McKenna. We cover a lot and uh, have a good time doing it. Hope you enjoyed that. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please review on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.